listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. In this series, The Gospel of Luke, Jesus for All, we walk through Luke's account of the life and ministry of Christ. All righty, good morning, everybody. If you have your Bibles, uh, please turn with me to the book of Luke. We'll continue our studies in the book of Luke. Uh, we're going to finish up chapter 7 today. And today is um, a very good picture of um, the difference of someone that would sing the last song we sang with conviction and with, with all their hearts versus someone that might not so engage totally. I mean, that is the picture. That song is a picture of the difference between these two characters within today's story. So let me pray for us, and I'll dive in for what God has for us. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for wonderful songs that, again, as Nate said, sing back the wonderful truths of who you are, what you have done for us. Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you for the word today. Lord, today we, we need to look. We need, and we'll be asked, which person are we? Are we Simon? Or are we the woman of the city? It's a drastic contrast. And the wonderful thing is, is there's There's hope. Lord, there's hope for the one that thinks that they're so far away that they can't be touched by God. And Lord, there's hope for the one that doesn't think they need God. Because Lord, through your word, you send your spirit to change hearts. To comfort those who think that they're too far. And to break the hearts of those that think they don't need you. It's through your word and your spirit that you do that. Lord, I pray that you would do that work today within us. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, something that is known by everyone and and most of you that have come to church many times and that you are a Christian, you have this saying, and, and many times you've been told this, is they will know us by our love. That's how they will know us. That's what Jesus says. You will they will know that you are my disciple by the love you show one for another. This was the attitude that Christians in Egypt embraced during the 3rd century when a terrible plague overwhelmed the famous city of Alexandria. According to Dionysius the Great, it was the, it, it was the followers of Christ who had compassion on the sick, even at the cost of their own lives. Most of our brothers, Christians, he wrote, showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ. And with them departed this life serenely happy. Many, in nursing and curing others, transferred their death to themselves and died in their stead. In those terrible days, the Christians showed a love that surpassed what anyone else was able to give. Dionysius went on to say this, The heathen behaved in the very opposite way. At the first onset of the diseases, they pushed the sufferers away and fled from their dearest, throwing them into the roads before they were dead, and treated unburied corpse as dirt. 
hoping thereby to avoid the spread and contagion of the fatal disease. Even report says the famous physician Gallen fled the city in fear. What made the difference? Why were these people coming out to help those that are afflicted, knowing that if they caught what they had, that they will probably die? What made the difference in their lives? What accounts for the extraordinary love that Christians showed to the dead and dying? Simply this. They had been forgiven. A life of love is the grateful response of a sinner who has found true forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Truly, this is a picture of faith. In today's passage, Luke writes about an encounter Jesus had with two people. A Pharisee named Simon and a woman of the city, a sinner, as described in the passage. Both people want to see Jesus. They both are in the presence of Jesus. They're there. He's there. Both of them. Simon invites him into the house and and the woman comes to the, the party. But both people want to see Jesus. They're both in the presence of Jesus. They both listen to Jesus. They both listen to his teaching. However, one of them is transformed and changed. One of them is sent away, condemned and confused. Why the difference? Why is there such difference between these two people? That's a very important question for each of us today. Why? Because everybody in this room is in the presence of Jesus. Jesus is present now. When you come and read about him, when you pray to him, when you consider him, you are coming into his presence. But what we will see today is everybody will either be like Simon or like the woman. Everybody in this room, for example, will go away like Simon, detached and unaffected, or like the woman, totally transformed. Two people in front of the same person, seeking the same thing, Listening to the same message, one changed, one not. So today what we will be looking for as we walk through this this story is the compare and contrast between these two people. First, we will look at how differently each person responds to Jesus. We will look at how differently each person responds to Jesus. Second, we will see how their responses are rooted in their understanding of Jesus. And third, we will see how their understanding results in two different responses from Jesus. We will see how thir- uh, their understanding results in two different responses from Jesus. So let's set the table, what's happening. We'll, we'll give the setting, what's going on with this story as we enter into to Luke's account of this. We see in verse 36, is a simple sentence. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. So Simon invites Jesus to dinner. He's been, knows of him, knows about his teaching. He invites him to dinner. Again, Simon is a Pharisee. He seems to be curious, kind of like Nicodemus. Remember, Nicodemus went to Jesus in the dark of night and was inquiring about him. He was real interested in, in Jesus. He wanted to learn more about him. Keep in mind, in those days, inviting someone for dinner is inviting them into a relationship. Now, what kind of relationships yet to be determined, but it was an invitation into a relationship. 
Those eating were laying kind of like on a, a, a really short couch, um, kind of laying down on one elbow and eating. That's just the way they did things back then. The, and, and the dinner at Simon's home was not like in, you know, we, we usually think of, if you think of your house, right, you usually have a, a, a little place whenever people step into your house and then maybe it comes to the kitchen and then you get over to the dining room. But, but in first century homes, a lot of times these type of dinners were held like kind of like in the outer court so other people can be there. Because a lot of times whenever they have dinners like this, there's a lot of conversation. So people want to learn, you know, they didn't have the printing press. They didn't have books. Everything was oratory back then. They, they learned by listening and hearing and being taught by individuals. So there would be people around here. They're not there eating. They're just there hanging out to learn to see what's going on. And obviously there's going to be people there because Jesus was invited. And they know that Jesus just healed somebody, rose someone from the dead. I mean, all kinds of things. So... There'd be some people around there. A lot of conversations. And nobody would really have thought about or or noticed the woman until she took action. And we see in verse 37, her action. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner. That's how Luke describes her. When When she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the anointment. Now when the Pharisee who who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner." And when you make a statement like that, you're pretty much saying she's a sinner and what? I'm not. So just keep that in mind because this is the Pharisee. Again, you know, we're comparing and contrasting here all through this passage. So here we see how Simon and the woman respond to Jesus. They're both responding to her, to him, in certain ways. To nutshell it, Simon's response is very intellectual and impersonal. And she responds with her whole life, which is very personal. It's very personal. This is not about personality types. This is not about season of life. This is not about how busy one is or anything like that. As we will see, this is specifically about how they see Jesus and understand him and who he is. As Jesus is going to say, one response shows faith and leads to forgiveness and the other to condemnation. Let's unpack these responses a bit more now that we've nutshelled them a little bit. The first difference we can see is that Simon comes in in an intellectual way, in a detached way. He doesn't have his whole self there. He is not really allowing Jesus to be the center. He has a question. He would like to have a discussion Jesus, come in. I, I want to talk to you. I want to ask you some questions. The woman has been moved to her depths. Is the woman's intellect in play? Absolutely. But so is her desires. So is her volition, the way she chooses to do things. Her emotions, her actions are all in play here. Simon stays in control. It's almost like an interview. 
It's like he invites Jesus into the relationship so that he can pull out information from him. It's, it's almost like kind of like an interview. Like he's interviewing Jesus. Where Jesus has already declared, I am the Savior. I am the one that can forgive sins, raise people from the dead, heal people. But Simon's bringing him in. Oh, let me, let's do a little interview here. Let me make sure that I agree that you are who you say you are. That's a scary place to be. He says, Jesus, I've been watching what you're doing, the miracles and such, and that is quite impressive. I have heard your teaching. It's quite remarkable. So let me just interview and get some more information from you. What Simon is kind of doing, and sometimes what we often do, unfortunately, Simon is just trying to figure out right now if it would be benefit his plans, his desires, his purpose of life. To allow Jesus to be shepherd and guide of his life. That's exactly what Simon is doing. He's doing this interview. Now, now would you benefit what, what I have planned for my life, Jesus? So many times we do that, don't we? We have our own plans, our own purposes, our own things. And we just want Jesus to bless all those things as we go. Instead of starting with him and see what he wants us to do from his word. Knowing, knowing with confidence that all of that will be blessed because it's the will of God and it's the desire of God. But that's what Simon's doing. He's, he's figuring out now, should I, should I actually believe him? Should I allow him to guide me and, and teach me and change some things that I think are right and wrong? We all struggle with this. It all goes back to the garden. We want to be our own God and decide what is right and wrong. In other words, he is in control. Jesus is the applicant. Like somehow, like somehow Jesus has to bend over backwards to, to make you see how awesome he is so that maybe, just maybe, you, you'll actually maybe just think about following him. That's not how this works. Jesus is Lord. He's the creator. He's, he's everything. He keeps it all together. It's not an interview. This relationship is not an interview. Jesus is not someone you can interview for the job of Lord and Savior. Because, let's be honest, we've already given a lot of different areas of our life over to different Lords and Saviors, and, and we live those out. So we're not interviewing him to say, maybe you take over this and take over that. No, what Jesus says is, I take your whole life. Because I gave my whole life for you. And brothers and sisters, that's where flourishing begins is when you give your life to him. That's when flourishing begins. See, for the woman, there is no interview. She's seen enough. She makes a commitment. She's completely all in. She comes with her whole being. See, this is how we are to respond to Jesus. We give him all. You know, even though that Jesus says this over and over and over, and I know, Joe, I'm looking in the mirror here. Joe's the same way. He says it over and over and over and over again, all through the Gospels. It just seems like we just don't believe him. 
Like we don't believe him. Like if we trust him and, and give our lives in this area to him and we, and we do the, what the, the word of God says in this, that somehow we're going to miss out on something. No, you don't. And no, you won't. It's like he says it over and over again, but we just don't believe it. Again, I'm kind of looking in the mirror here too. Let me give you a, a definition I came across. It's very fitting here. Remember, she came in and just committed, right? She committed everything. She's at his feet weeping. She committed. So commitment is putting your full weight on something to the point of vulnerability. Commitment is putting your full weight on something to the point of vulnerability. You're vulnerable. Do you trust Jesus enough to be vulnerable? Do you trust him that way? Is he Lord of your life? Do you trust him enough that no matter what's going on, you're okay because you're in Christ? This is on display. This is on display every time I go visit Harry and Marlene. They have absolute, complete, and total trust in their Savior no matter what is going on in their life. I hope whenever I am in that position. That my faith shows that strong. See, because that is what Jesus requires. Commitment. Vulnerability. If there's no vulnerability, there's no commitment. And if there's no commitment, there's no relationship. I mean, we see this kind of like quite often after service, don't we? How, how commitment and vulnerability lead, is all focused in on this relationship. Because usually at some point in time during after service, we're all talking, there is some kid that launches themselves off of this stage into somebody's arms. You want to talk about commitment and vulnerability within a relationship? The kid flies off of this stage knowing that the person that they're flying to They're being vulnerable. There's nothing they can do. If that person doesn't catch them, they crash and burn into the pew. Bad scenario. Completely vulnerable. But they have absolute commitment in that person. They have trust in them. Just asking you, do you trust the creator of the universe in that way in your life today? Do you trust him that way? How vulnerable is that child flying through the air. That is the way it is. There's no commitment without vulnerability. No relationship without commitment, but no commitment without vulnerability. And how do we hate that? (laughs) We hate that. We got to be vulnerable. You mean, you mean I got to put myself out there thinking that that person could hurt me? Yep. Why? Because you're his. And no matter what that person does to you, he'll give you the power to forgive them or to love them or to give them the grace that they need. Why? Because he's shown you grace. This is why we have a covenant that we sign as members of a church. And whenever we sign that covenant, in other words, we're saying, I am committed to each person in this church. I'm going to be vulnerable to them. I expect them to be vulnerable to me. And therefore, I'm going to love them the best way possible. Will I sin against them? Guaranteed. But it's all under the blood. 
We can go to one another and love one another, encourage one another, build one another up. This is what the church is. You have a group of people doing that. We will so look so weird to the world around us that they, they, they're not going to be able to help to come check this out. That's how he's designed it. That's why we have a covenant. And it means something. It means something. We hate it, so we stay detached. We interview people. How many of your relationships are just inter- long-term interviews? As long as they pass the test for the interview, you'll let them to, you'll continue to allow them to be in relationship with you. I know, I'm stepping on toes. Sorry. So we keep our options open. We love doing that in 2023. Mainly because we're always trying to form our identity. It's not achieved, it's given to us by Christ. We cannot live like that without losing in our relationships. How much more is this true that if you want to have the ultimate relationship with the ultimate person, there has to be an ultimate commitment? There has to be an ultimate commitment. The woman does it, Simon will not. How does she do it? It's the alabaster flask of ointment. She's given everything. In all likelihood, this woman of the city, she was a prostitute. She would wear this ointment around her neck. Remember, this is first century. Don't have showers in everybody's homes. You can't take two and three showers a day. It was a necklace with a jar or a flask of perfume. It was part of her alluring. It was part of what made her attractive. I mean, kind of think of maybe cosmetics in some way. It was part of her job. Do you know what she is doing? When she takes the thing that that allows her to eat tomorrow and pours it on Jesus' feet? Not only that, but she lets her hair down, and that's that's like that's a no-no. I mean, I was trying to think of some kind of way to, to bring that into 2020. There is nothing. We are so unashamed about anything that there is no comparison right now. But it was scandalous. In fact, if you were married to a woman and that woman let her hair down in public, that would be grounds for divorce because it is saying something. Beyond vulnerability and in, in different things. So for a woman to take the tool of her trade off and pour it on Jesus' feet was to say, get this, I have a better use for this perfume now. I have a better use for this perfume now. She was actually changing the direction of her life. I know many of us would like to so much to think, I can get Jesus in my life just to give me some personal peace and inspiration in my life. Keep him over here and Make me feel good when I'm feeling down. And but that's not what Jesus is calling you to. But in reality, unless you are vulnerable before Jesus, you will not have a relationship with Jesus. That means making him master of everything. Your job, your behavior, 
your ethics, the way you see your money, your relationships, your sexuality, your thought life, everything. He becomes master of everything. There is no way to stay in control and be in a relationship with Jesus. You know what the, the, the crazy thing is, is, is everybody in this room, including myself, Again, I, I tell you often, I, I, I got to deal with this, this message all week long. Boy, does he point out some things for me. Everybody in this room has little flasks around their neck. The things that are important to them. And brothers and sisters, we often pour them out on somebody's feet. Or something's feet. There is something or someone that you're going to live for who gets your heart. To whom do you live for utterly and entirely? What do you live for utterly and entirely? Sometimes it's a who and sometimes it's a what. So let me just ask some questions about that thing whether or not it's a person or an object or something that you go do, whatever it is. Will they satisfy you like Jesus? Or will you have to go back over and over and over again? Will they never let you down like Jesus will never let you down? See, that's the difference between real Christianity and mere religion. In religion, you use Jesus to get other things. In real Christianity, you say, you are everything I want. I don't need anything else. I mean, Simon even doubted the deity of Jesus. If you were a prophet, you would know who, what sort of woman is touching you. Jesus has something to say about that. And by the way, when God says something to you, when he says, I have something to say to you, <laughs> you better hold on. I mean, it's kind of like you're getting a, a, a grenade, maybe. Like, here's a grenade. Not a physical one, like a spiritual or intellectual one. Like, I got something to say to you, Mr. Simon. Ah, who knew? Listen to what he says. And Jesus answered, answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. This parable is, is straightforward. It shows us the heart of both Simon and the woman. It helps us understand the second point that their responses are rooted in their understanding of who Jesus is. They respond to Jesus because they're different understandings on who Jesus is. We start with Simon because that is who Jesus is speaking to. First, he doesn't see his need. Simon doesn't have any need. He's a Pharisee. He has it all figured out. I've been following the rules. I'm all good. The first thing he's trying to show Simon is Simon does not understand like the woman understands his need for a Savior. 
Jesus is saying it does not matter how far in debt you are if you have nothing to pay. Do you see the difference? Both of these people were in debt. Both of these people couldn't pay. Simon doesn't even see the fact that he's in debt or that he couldn't pay. He thought he was okay. It didn't matter how far in debt he was. He just never saw that he couldn't pay. That's the point. It doesn't matter how bad a life or how nice a life you have lived. Everybody owes and no one can pay. Jesus is comparing Simon with one who owes 50 and the woman who owes 500. Simon has led a nice life, a moral life, a very respectable life. The woman has led a very broken life, a very messed up life. What is he saying? It doesn't matter. They're both lost. They both need a Savior. Neither one of them can pay. Simon's religion says, I don't need a messenger. I don't need a Savior. I need a message. I need a path. Give me what to do. I'll get it done. Show me what to do. I want your teaching, not you, Jesus. I want the message, not the messenger. I want an impersonal relationship, not a personal one, because I can save myself. I'm good. Oftentimes, we'll never completely say that. But there's areas in our life where we say that. I can do it. Jesus in this parable says, you have to see that whether you're religious or irreligious, you're lost. You need a Savior. And we're going we're gonna to see that story over and over and over in Luke parable to prodigal son over and over again those that think they're religious they're good and those that are in need the bible says that sin is much more than breaking the rules sin is breaking the rule it's one of these little quotes that i have in many different places from tim keller the rule like what do you mean by the rule well it's really simple it's the bottom line rule of the bible here it is there's a god and you're not him Try to remind myself that all the time. There is a God, and you're not Him. Please don't be like Simon and think you can save yourself. Simon did not see his need. The woman absolutely knew her need. Second, Simon didn't see the cost. She saw the cost. It basically cost her everything to show her love for Jesus. It cost her everything to show her love for Jesus. Salvation here is seen as forgiveness of debt. We all know this. That's what salvation is, forgiveness of debt. We sing about it. That's, that's the basis of the gospel. But forgiveness of debt, remember that somebody pays. Somebody always has to pay. Jesus is trying to say the only way for every, anyone to know God is if I pay your debt. That's his premise. The only way that anybody's going to truly know God and be in relationship is if I pay their debt. Simon has no concept of that. When you see anyone who says, let's separate the message from the messenger, in a Simon-type religious person, it kind of shows that they're not understanding the gospel. 
I mean, stop and think about that. Have you ever pondered that? Like, think about like the Bible and, and the redemptive story and everything he did just to, so that he can bring people to be in relationship with him. What did it cost God to have a personal relationship with you today, here and now? What did it cost him? Do you believe that the thorns, the agony, the nails, the blood were necessary for this relationship? If not, if you don't believe it's necessary, then A, you don't see how holy and just God is, and B, you don't see your sin for what it is. And if you don't see that, then then maybe that's why your relationship with God is more like Simon's than the woman's. That's the reason why you're not weeping. That's the reason you are not letting your hair down, so to speak. That's the reason why you're holding on to earthly things as if they are the ultimate things. Maybe that's even why Jesus is just, okay, this is a person that they talk about, the church I go to, or he's not just a personal person. Just as real as the person sitting next to you. Is he like that in your life? He sure was in this woman's life. And and sometimes the reason why we don't feel that or see that is because we don't see the cost. We don't know the cost. Simon doesn't see his need and he doesn't see the cost. And that's as much as what Jesus said to him. That's kind of where I got those points from. Look at verse 44. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she was wet. She has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not uh, ceased to kiss my feet. See what he's doing? He's unpacking. It's like, you, You showed me, you just brought me in to give me an interview. This woman has been loving me ever since I got here. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she was anointed my feet with ointment. Because these two people have two different understandings of Jesus. Jesus, in turn, responds to each of them differently. He responds to them differently. We can deal with Simon in 15 seconds. Simon gets exactly what he wants. Simon gets a seminar. He got some more information. Whether or not he believes it or not, that's what he got. That's what he's looking for. Came in, did an interview, declared that he wasn't the Savior because he was touching someone who's known to be a sinner. He got got the interview. He got the intellectual. He got that part of it. What he gets is an intellectual experience. He gets a, a discussion, and he gets, by the way, a cold shoulder. And what he really gets is Jesus is back. Because Jesus turns away. Talk about a scary place to be. What does the woman get? I mean, there's like almost too much. We can do another 30 minutes on that. Let me just point out a couple. Look at verse 47, 48. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves a little. 
And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. First of all, she gets an ability to love that she didn't have before. Now don't flip this on its head. Don't don't turn into Simon here real quick and, and say, oh, because she loved, she had her sins forgiven. No. No. It's the opposite. What he's saying is the reason she has the ability to love now is because she has been forgiven. Jesus is saying your ability to love people or even love life for that matter is directly related to how deeply you see your sin and how deeply you see yourself to be forgiven. If you don't see yourself to be a terrible sinner and a completely forgiven sinner, you will not be able to love people or life like this woman now does. You'll never be in those relationships, and we all need relationships. We won't be vulnerable because we don't completely feel that we're forgiven. So it's a both-and thing. Yes, we need to see just how sinful we are, but we also need to see just how forgiven we are. Completely, totally. Not falling back and forth. It's steadfast. Another thing she gets is absolute and incredible satisfaction. Complete satisfaction. You know how we know that? Because in the moment that she is there tending to Jesus, stop and think about this. This is the woman of the city. She's coming to a Pharisee's house. Well, at least to the outer court part, right? And she wouldn't be, he would have stopped her from actually going into her house because he would have thought that, oh, that made his whole house unclean. So stop and think about this. Because as she was tending to Jesus, she could care less what anybody else thought of her. She didn't care. She was at the feet of her Savior. Her faith, she believed by what she saw him do and who he is and his teaching. That I'm sure that, you know, because, I mean, this was like huge. Whenever Jesus went into a town, everybody knew Jesus was there. It's not like she escaped it. Not like you can't think of this whole scenario and this, this whole um, picture, this, this scene that, that Luke is giving us. is like this woman is just all, all of a sudden she comes. No, she knew about Jesus. She's been hearing about Jesus. She had faith that he was who he said he was. And she comes and gives herself to him. And she was incredibly satisfied. Because you know and I know that that fear of man, we all struggle with it on some level. She had none of that. He perfectly fulfilled her. It didn't matter. It didn't matter what they were going to say. It didn't matter what they thought. Boy, couldn't, wouldn't it be awesome if just some of us could just take like three hours of the day and not care what people think of us? I mean, we would first have to put our phones down, but I, I know that's a hard task, but it's amazing to have that understanding and be completely, completely satisfied. Completely satisfied. That's when you know that Jesus is your all in all. When you're completely satisfied with just him. And finally, we know that the woman has peace. 
says this, Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this? Who even forgives sins? Again, lack of faith. And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I know that some of you came through that door today just like, man, if I could just get a little bit of peace in my life. And Jesus is just saying, come, I'll give you all the peace you need. Lay down those things that you're running after. Come to me. I will give you that peace. I will give you that peace. So how was this woman saved? Why were her sins forgiven? On what basis did she receive eternal life? Not by merit of of her love, but by the trust of her faith. This, This clarifies true biblical way of salvation. God does not ask us to prove our love for him before he will save us. No, he offers forgiveness as a free gift of his love. Then once our sins are forgiven... The right natural response is for us to love him in return. It is not the love we show for Jesus that causes him to forgive us. It is his forgiveness that causes us to love. We're not able to kiss him or wipe his feet with our hair or anoint him with perfume to show our love. There are other ways we do so. We can do it by singing the praise, his praise with passion from the heart as one who has been saved. We can do it by speaking words of affection to Jesus in prayer as we spend time with him. He's just so real. And I just wondered, how many of us actually know that he's just that real? As you talk to him in prayer and Interact with his word as he reveals who he is. And we can do it by telling him that we are sorry for our many sins. And the way a Christian says they're sorry is not by saying I'm sorry. The way the Christian says I'm sorry is by repenting and that means that we turn to trust in him and leave that thing behind. We capture the thoughts, we renew the mind We put off, we put on. And finally, we do so by reaching out to other sinners who need his grace. People no one else would touch. This is the debt we owe for all the sins that God has forgiven. Not just tears and perfume, but lies poured out in love for Jesus. Are you looking for that kind of relationship today? He's done so much to be in that relationship with you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. No matter where we fall on this spectrum and Lord, I hope that I put across that it's a spectrum, that it's not an either one person or the other person. That Yeah, we could be one person or the other, but we also fall in between in the gap somewhere. 
Lord, help us see that as we take time to remember the cost it took to forgive our sins. Lord, help us see that. More importantly, help us just to spend a little time with you right now. Help us spend some time with you. There's nothing that we have done this week and nothing in our hearts that you don't already know. So we could just tell them to you right now. Tell him what you're struggling with. Tell him what you're afraid of. Tell him what you're angry about. Be vulnerable. It's okay. He will never let you down. Lord, I pray that you would help us. Lord, I pray that your spirit will touch any heart here that does not know you like this and that you will change them and they will trust in you. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. To learn more about our church, visit our website at mountaincty.church. Thanks again, and may the Lord bless your week.